0: Bibles, you can open up to Colossians chapter 3. We'll be there in just a few moments. Um, But back in 1966, a group called Simon and Garfunkel released a song entitled I Am a Rock. And maybe you've heard this song before, but within that, there are lyrics that say things like, I am alone. I've built walls. I've built a fortress deep and mighty. I have no need of friendship. Said, I'm shielded in my armor and I'm hiding in my room. I touch no one, no one touches me, says I'm a rock, I'm an island. And then it says at the end that a rock feels no pain, and an island never cries. And I think a lot of people would listen to that song at moments we connect because we feel alone or we feel like something's gone wrong, so we want to retreat to ourselves and I don't need anyone else at this particular moment. But the truth is that you and I were not created to live this life alone. We were created to be within relationship. In fact, when you go back to Genesis and you see how God created everything and when he has Adam, he says there's no suitable helper and so he creates Eve. And yes, I get the marriage context here, but even the bigger context is that of relationship that we are created to be in relationship with others. And even when you go to the New Testament and you look at the church, one of the primary things of the church, you're supposed to do this is to encourage each other, is to challenge each other, come alongside one another, do life together. That is what God created us to do is to be in community. But if we're being completely honest, sometimes relationships are hard. They can be really hard. And the reason is simply because of sin. Because the person that you're in a relationship with, they're broken but the person that they are in relationship which is you you're also broken And so I think back to that second week when we were talking through this Colossians series and we said the primary purpose of Jesus coming to this earth was to restore the relationship between us and God. Like that which had been broken, he came so that we could be reconciled to him. But out of that, there's other relationships that then get to be healed. And so we talked about even our own mindset and how we think about ourselves. And so when things start to creep into our minds, lies or things that people maybe are saying, like we can listen to the truth. We can realize the things that maybe try to have fear over us or cause anxiety don't have to stay there because we are setting our minds on things above. And so God has come to recreate our mind and have us focused on him. But one of the areas that we also talked about was simply relationships, that Jesus came to be able to restore relationships, to show us how they are to be done. And again, whether you want to talk about guidelines or instructions or rules, there are certain ways as a Christ follower, you and I are called to live. In fact, when someone asks Jesus, hey, what is the most important commandment? He says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. He says, but the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so here in our text, Paul's not going to complicate certain relationships, but he's going to say, this is how you should live. He's not creating a new list. Remember, Nick said that last week, but because you are a new self, because God has come inside of you, this is now how you ought to live. And so one of those relationships that he talks about is marriage. Now, he's not going to tell you everything you need to know about marriage. He's going to give you the general framework, not cultural customs. So he's not speaking to us today saying, okay, this is who gets to drive. This is who's in charge of laundry. This is. Who gets the remote win? Like, that's not what he's going to say. This is the framework of how marriage should work. And so in chapter three, we're just going to read verse 18. We're basically going about one verse at a time and looking what Paul says about these relationships. So in 18, this is what Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Now, as we go through all of these, you're going to kind of see something. You're going to see a person. This is who I'm talking to. This is what I'm telling you to do. And then this is either the why or the how, a little bit of extra information that you need to know. And so in this verse, we're looking, he says, wives, you are to submit. And it says, as fitting in the Lord. So let's talk about that word submit just for a second, because man, our culture does not like hearing that word. Like all of a sudden we start talking about rights and equality. And so submit, what are you talking about here, Paul? Or sometimes we have seen it done poorly. Like maybe even someone, you know, you have watched them and they've used that word submit, but you step back and go, that's not what I think God has called anyone to do. And so we get frustrated at feeling about this word submit. Can I tell you when Paul says to submit, he doesn't use the word obey. That's a different word. He doesn't tell you as a wife that you are to lose your own identity. That's what submission means. No, you are still your own person that God has created. And he also doesn't call you to submit in spots where it is not godly. And what I mean by that is I think about things that are are not of God or even abusive situations where someone has gone back to this verse and said, but I'm supposed to submit and when, when the husband is doing this, this is not the ways of God. It says, as is fitting in the Lord. And so I am going to choose to submit. What Paul does mean is that you are going to place yourself under his headship. You are going to trust him. You are going to support him. You are going to respect him. You are going to be his partner. You are going to be his helper. And man, when the two become one, as God designed marriage to be, it can be such a fantastic thing. And so the question I might simply start off by asking you wives is this, do you submit to your husbands? Do you submit to your husbands or that spot of leadership that God has designed him to be? Do you kind of try to knock him off of that and go, but I'm better at this than he is. You know, there may be certain areas that you are better, but that's why there's this partnership, this teamwork and working together. But do you try to take the spot that God has called him to lead? Because God wants you to submit. Now, before you husbands are sitting there pretty tall, let's talk about what Paul says to you right after this in verse 19. He says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So again, our three things, we've got husbands, love wives, Don't be harsh, okay? That's what he talks about here. And so when he talks about love, that is not the romantical kind of love that sometimes has all the butterflies going around and all that kind of stuff. It is that word agape that is a self-sacrificing love that I am going to care about her. I'm gonna know what her goals are. When we're making decisions, when I ultimately have to make the decision, I am thinking about her and how this benefits our family together, not just me. That is what he's calling the husbands to do is to love in that way but then it talks about not being harsh. Like in our society, we hear that word submit, and it's like, whoa, that causes flags sometimes. Here, when the people would have heard this, the idea of not being harsh, some of the husbands would be like, but that's my right. Like my wife, she's my property. I can do whatever I want. Paul is saying, no, you can't. You need to love and not be harsh with your wife. Do not continually raise your voice. Do not physically push her around or emotionally push her around or socially push her around. Let me ask you, as a husband, can the word gentle ever be used to describe you? And I'm not saying you have to walk around and that's the first word that everyone says, man, that guy is gentle. Okay. But I'm telling you, is there a spot that your wife can go, man, he is gentle. Or are you constantly being kind of harsh and gruff? You see, God wants you to live this way. And so as we're talking about relationships and partnerships, husbands, let me ask you this. Does your wife feel like she's part of a team? Or do you feel like, or have you made her to feel like less than that, to where she's just doing whatever you say, that, you're, that she's a yes man? Because that is not biblical love. And so, in this relationship, for it to work the best, God says, wives, you are to submit. Husbands, you are to love sacrificially. But then he doesn't just stop there. I mean, we've just gone one verse, one verse. Then he shifts to another household relationship, that between kids and parents. And so in verse number 20, it says this, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. All right, kids that are out there, you are called to obey your parents, and your parents are making sure you're listening right now, okay? You are called to obey. That is what Scripture says. As long as you are under their roof, you are to obey. Now, when you move out, that obey is not something you have to do anymore. You still have to honor. That is what Scripture says. You are to always honor your parents. But while you are under their household, they are the authority and you are called to obey. You may not always like it, but they have reasons for why they have told you to do certain things or have certain rules in place. The one time, the one time that you are not to obey them is if they are asking you to do something or they are telling you to do something that is unscriptural, that goes against God. But I tell you that even with just kind of this uh, maybe warning, you better make sure it really is going against scripture because sometimes we're like, oh, but I feel God wants me to do this, but it's not something unbiblical. Okay. And so you are called as a child to obey your parents. Now, before we go on to the next verse, I still need to talk to you parents for just a second. What that means is you have to lead. You have to lead well in your home. Now, I'm not saying you have to be perfect, but your children need you to be more than their friend. You have to be the parent. They need your guidance. They need you to lead them into what is right. And I'll tell you, if you've kind of leaned towards just being friends with them and not teaching them what is right and not doing the hard things sometimes, it can be hard to right that ship. But I will tell you that it is super important to do so because that is what they need, husbands and wives teaching their kids, showing them how to live. And I'll tell you, as you instruct your kids, make sure you are teaching and you are demonstrating the same thing. Otherwise, they get confused. But I'm hearing you say this, but I'm seeing this in your relationship, so what are you meaning? Make sure as a parent you're teaching them consistently with those things. But kids, if I just come back to you and I ask you this question, even if it's not easy, or even in the moment, if you don't like it, are you obeying your parents? Because that is the design that God has set up for the household. All right? But then we continue going on, and in verse 21, it says, "'Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged.'" Okay, so our three things, we've got our fathers, says don't embitter or they'll become discouraged. Maybe your Bible doesn't say embitter, maybe it says the idea of provoke, don't provoke them, don't exasperate them. Some of the things that I saw is don't harass them, don't continually irritate them, don't find fault in all the things that they do. That's a continual act that leads to bitterness. So he's not talking about that one moment of outrage, that's not what he's talking about. But don't do things that continually eat away at your kids in certain areas. Now, he talks about fathers. I think we could talk about fathers and mothers in this, but I think it's very important. He talks about fathers, one, because of their culture and the position that they hold. But even today, you are still the spiritual leader of your family. And so you need to be teaching your kids in the right way. And so I also think that mothers are generally more nurturing, but dads, that's still your spot too, to come alongside and nurture your kids. But as you are raising them, a critical component is this, is not to push too hard or they may become discouraged. So I don't know where that is in your life. For me, if I'm being completely honest, it's the area of sports, okay? love sports, loved playing sports, and you know, even wanting my kids to do the absolute best they could be. And so sometimes even like having conversations with them at practice, okay, we well, gotta get this down, or working on something. For me, it was also important having discussions with them about what their goals were. So I found out that, okay, your goal isn't to be the absolute best on the team, fine. I'm not gonna, that makes cheering a lot easier because I'm not like expecting this. I'm not trying to live out my dreams through my kids. And so maybe sports is an area that you find yourself getting a little bit riled up when your kids are there because you're continually pushing them harder and harder, maybe past a point that you should. Maybe there's some other achievement that you just really want your child to be able to do this. Like maybe it's grades. I remember about a month ago, I was sitting across the table for one of my kiddos and they were talking about their grades because it was almost the end of the school year. And uh, my child said, hey, in three of my classes, I have over a hundred percent. And I looked at them with a straight face and I said, well, I'm disappointed. That really should be four. Okay. And then they quickly laughed and knew that I was joking and all that kind of stuff. But there is this spot that sometimes we can push too hard. Having said that, you still need to push. You still need to direct. That is your responsibility. So in our household, we still have the conversations about it is our job to do our best. You know what? Because a teacher says you can turn it in a day late for 10% less, that doesn't mean that's now our goal. We are going to turn it in when it's on time because that is what our responsibility is. And so as a child, it is, or as a parent, it is your job to train up your kids. But in this text, it says... But be careful in certain areas not to push and push and push in such a bad way because if so, they may rebel against you. And in doing so, they may end up rebelling against God. They may say, I see the way that you've treated me and so I don't want to have anything to do with you and therefore I don't want to have anything to do with your God as well. Now, can I tell you one way that this verse is taken that is completely unbiblical? There are some people that will take this verse to say, That's why I let my child decide whether we're going to church or not. Man, you are the parent. You're not supposed to allow a seven-year-old to decide whether I'm going to church because I feel like it today. I want to be with friends. If you ultimately believe that what you believe with the foundation of Jesus has eternal consequences, that is your job as the parent to instruct your kids. Now, how to make that a little bit easier is that you're living it consistently, you're talking about it at home, you're even helping them to understand the why we even come to church. Church is bigger than just a service. Why do we do this? You know what, there's a saying out there that I've said multiple times, it says, rules without relationship leads to rebellion. And so if you are a father or mother who is continually harping on your kid with some sort of rule, and it may even be a good rule, but if you are harping on it in such a way that there is no relationship, that they don't feel like you love them, that you care about them, then in the end, they hear only the rule and they may choose to rebel. So in this section saying, fathers, do not embitter, do not provoke your kids or they may become discouraged. And so the question is, with your emotions and the way that you lead, are you helping your child? to become that which God made him or her to be because that is your calling as a parent. So Paul continues to talk about these relationships, and he shifts um, to one other relationship here um, that is between masters and slaves, and that would have been a little bit more in the household than what we talk about today. Sometimes we look at um, employees, employers with the principle here, which is absolutely accurate, um, but even thinking about that, sometimes we think about working is completely separate from the home. Uh, It wasn't so much back when this was written, and you even see technology more and more Uh, Work is coming back to the home as well. But Paul is about to address this slaves and masters relationship. And so, if we go to the next section, this is the only one that is more than one verse. All right? In verses 22 through 25, here's what Paul writes. He says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong. And there is no favoritism. And so again, even though there's a lot of verses there, he says slaves, he says, obey with all your heart. He says, it's because you're serving Christ. That's what you are called to do. And so those in a lower position, and by lower, all I simply mean is you have a boss, you have a master, you have a leader. You are called to uh, obey them and serve them. You are called to fulfill the tasks that you have been given. But not just that, you are called to do it well. You're not just supposed to do it when you're being watched. You're supposed to do it well. Man, it's not hard to kind of look around and see certain people who are doing just enough at their jobs to get by, like just enough to get their paycheck. You know, I call in just enough times for sick days or whatever that then like, uh, you know, they're not going to fire me, but I'm going to get this job or they're, they're only volunteering when it like benefits themselves. And Paul is saying that's not the way to live because every time that you do something for your employer, for your master, for your boss, you are doing it for the Lord. And I wonder, how often do you go to work with that kind of mindset, that what I'm doing today is for God? I remember a sermon a few years ago here about this idea of work, and he said, you are not a worker who is a Christian, but you are a Christian who is a worker. So I am a Christian first that is a teacher. I am a Christian first that drives a trash truck. I am a Christian first that is a police officer, whatever it is. And so this fact that I am a Christian drives what I am doing. And so I am going to choose to obey because ultimately I am serving Christ. And at the end of this text, Paul says, and if you don't, like there are going to be consequences. It doesn't matter who you are. You know, we heard even a verse about reaping and sowing in our meditation for communion. But this idea of God will bring about consequences. He's not just going to be like, oh, it's okay because you're this situation. And if we choose not to obey, there will be consequences. And so again, the one time, the one time that I would tell you that you are not supposed to quote, fulfill whatever your job tells you to do is if it is going against what God says. But it it's something that is not full of integrity and those kind of things, but every other time, you are called to obey your uh, employer. And so let me just ask you this question. Would your boss be able to look at you and say that you're someone that's trustworthy, that you're someone that goes above and beyond? Or if they're describing you, would they say, "Yeah, they just barely get the job done?" Or even every moment that they can, they try to push back against that, which I'm leading? We are called as Christ followers to obey. And if you're in a position, an occupation that you don't feel like you can do that, I might encourage you that it might be time to look elsewhere. Because this is something that God calls us to do as we live. But again, he doesn't just stop with the slaves, with the employees. He switches one more time to talking about the other side of that relationship. And in chapter four, verse one, he says, masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you have a master in heaven. So he says, masters, you are to provide rightly. That's your job. And it says, because you have a master in heaven. So real simply, you that are bosses, you that are leaders, lead well. Treat those who are under you the way they deserve. Treat them rightly. Treat them fairly. Don't take advantage of them. Why? Because just as they have a master or a boss who is over them, you too have a greater master. And there is no place for arrogant or abusive or harsh or bullying leadership in the kingdom of God. So let me ask you, if you are a boss, do your workers enjoy working for you and can you stand before God feeling good about the way that you treat those who work for you lead well and treat them well and so just within these verses we hear this idea of loving and submitting and obeying and not provoking or embittering or obeying or treating them right all of this situation and so as a Christ follower you and I are called to live this way within these relationships not just when we want to not just when it's convenient Not just when the other person is doing it. Okay, my wife is submitting today, so I'm going to love her. Like, that's not what God calls you to do. My kids, they're obeying, so I'm not going to yell at them today. You know, like, my boss is treating me the way that I want, so I'm going to work as hard as I can. That's not what Jesus says. Anytime we are to live these ways. But again, you don't have to do it by yourself. Because it goes back to putting on the new self. And Christ's spirit inside of you will help you live this way as you draw close to him, as you ask him to help you. And one of the really cool things is when you live out your aspect of this relationship, oftentimes it'll make it easier for the other person to do that. When I love my wife, well, it makes it easier for her to submit. When I am not yelling at my kids, it makes it easier for them to obey. When I create a work at atmosphere where like the workers are enjoying this, they will want to work. Now I say that it's almost always, But it's not always because unfortunately, sometimes people still get to make a choice and they may not choose the way that they ought to do it. But almost always the way that you treat someone else, if you do it well, you will reap the benefits of that. Can I also tell you that other people who are outside that are looking in may get to reap the benefits of that as well. Like they look at your marriage and they're like, your marriage is so different than so many other people's that I see. Or they'll look at your household and they're like, your kids obey you. What have you done? Or your kids, they like, like you. How does that happen? Or you enjoy going to work. What, what is going on with that? And at that moment, you get to talk about how, man, we are built on the foundation of what God has called me to do, our family to do. And so that is what we are striving to do. And you may get someone that looks at you and say, yeah, but that's old fashioned. That's like outdated. They might even try and tell you, yeah, that's wrong. Like that's not the way you should live. You know what? If someone were to tell me that, Without being too harsh, I might simply look back at them and say, so you're telling me that the current way that marriages and families and work is really going well, huh? Man, when I go back to Scripture, like that is what we stand upon as a Christian when we stand upon eternity. And so if I talk about this word motivation, like what is it that truly motivates me in all these relationships? It's not just so that the other person will do something nice back for me. It's not even so that other people will know maybe Jesus someday. But our main motivation to live this way is because we do it for Jesus. And I get it. That may sound like a Sunday school answer, but it's not. When I understand what God has done for me, it causes me to want to live this way, to respect him and to help other people, to heal those relationships. In fact, at the very beginning of this series, we read the entire letter of Colossians without any subheadings or without any verse headings. And I get why they put this little heading about rules for Christian households or whatever right here, but it blocks the flow. This is one spot where it messes up. Like what I mean by that is last week at the very end of Nick's sermon, he briefly touched on verse 17, but he purposely didn't dive into it much because then it jumps into what we're talking about today. So listen to verse 17 of chapter three here says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the father through him. And so whatever we do, which now he jumps into each one of these relationships, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, giving him thanks. The reason that we do this thing in relationships is because he is supreme. In fact, in our nine verses that we just read, seven different times, it refers to Jesus in some way. In verse 18, it says, submit as is fitting to the Lord. Verse 20, obey because it pleases the Lord. Verse 22, serve out of reverence for the Lord. Verse 23, you are working for the Lord. Verse 24, you have an inheritance from the Lord, and it is the Lord Christ you are serving. In chapter 4, verse 1, it says, you have a master in heaven. You see the key to really loving well, to submitting well, to obeying well, to leading well, is having a Christ-centered mentality that I am going to do this for him. It's not a to-do list that I'm hoping God will love me more because I do these things. I am doing this as a response because of what he's done in my life. And in fact, in the letter to Ephesians, where Paul kind of writes about this exact same thing, where he talks about husbands and wives, children and parents, masters and slaves. The verse right before that section is says this, in chapter five, verse 21, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Again, the whole reason, the whole motivation that I do these things is because of what he's done for me. And so I am, I am submitting to him. Jesus really is going to be Lord over every one of my relationships. I want to honor him. And all of a sudden, when I'm feeling like, I just don't want to do that, like that excuse doesn't quite seem adequate anymore because I want to honor him. So let me ask you these two questions. Number one, in your relationships that maybe you have that go in this text, can people see Christ in you? The way that you live, can people see Christ in your relationships the way that you're living? My second question I might ask you is this. What is your motivation in those relationships? And again, there can be times that my, my motivation is, man, I want to uh, make my wife happy. I don't want my kid to yell. You know, I want to be able to earn more money. So I get that those can be motivations, and those aren't even bad motivations. But what happens when those motivations, they're not so motivating anymore? What I mean by that is when things are going well, maybe those are helpful, but what about that moment that you and your spouse Like, you are just not seeing eye to eye on things. And maybe there was an argument, maybe you had assumptions that they didn't come through, and you're frustrated, and so you are standing at the sink washing dishes while your spouse is out watching the television, you're sitting there, I'm betting the motivation is not, I really just want to love my spouse right now. And in that moment, does your motivation come from, I want to serve Jesus? I want to show him or her Jesus. I want to live the way that he has called me to live. In that moment that you are telling your child for the 17th time that they need to do something and you really just feel the anger like building up and you wanna scream, you don't hold your tongue just because that's what you feel like. You do it because I'm doing this for Jesus or in the moment that you're at your work and you're looking around and it seems like absolutely no one else is going the extra mile. In fact, like no one else is going the extra foot. (laughs) They're doing all that they can do to just barely get by. In that moment, your motivation has to come from somewhere else. And I have to remember, I'm doing all of it for Jesus Christ. In fact, when I was studying for this sermon, there's one statement that I came across. It was a really bold statement, but I agree with it. And here's what the person said. He said, the way that you treat the people in your household and the way that you treat people that you work with, whether they're above you or below you, that shows how submitted you are to the Lordship of Christ. I'll say it again, the way that you deal with the people in your household and the way that you deal with the people at work, it shows how submitted you are to the Lordship of Christ. And not that, okay, to Jesus' or Savior, not Savior's different, but the idea of Lord. He is master. He's the one leading my life. Am I allowing him to lead me or am I trying to bump him off and take his spot? Man, God has this set up and he knows the way it should look. And so you and I, our motivation needs to come from serving him. But you will find out that as you live this way within these relationships, it really does benefit you and it benefits the kingdom. And so may we live this way with his help that really does help restore relationships and show people Jesus. So let's pray. God, I thank you for these words. um, And I pray that we would live this way. God, we don't have to do it by yourself. Your spirit is inside of us, but help us as we continue to draw close to you. God, to be able to love and submit, to be able to obey, to be able not to provoke and uh, embitter. God, to be able to obey or treat those underneath us rightly. God, in all these relationships, I pray that you are the motivation and I pray that people get to see that. God, in a crowd this size and those watching online, I pray uh, there's a lot of different aspects that may be hitting home, maybe certain words um, that you are the one, the author of. And I pray that your spirit would do in us what we need him to do. So help us to respond in the way uh, that is adequate. God, help us this week to love the way you've called us to. And sing your name that we pray. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.